Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What's poppin' everybody? Hello and welcome to episode one of Popcorn Culture. My name is Ben Carlin and I am your host. Here with me today is my brother Jay, who will be in every episode. Pretty sure that just makes us co-hosts? I think it makes you a co-host. Whatever you say there, other host yeah that was a zinger yeah you, you totally got me you're right we will figure out the hosting business at some point i have some ideas about that sure uh, sure ben i believe if anyone listened to episode zero this is episode one not to be confused with episode zero which already came out which is the first episode yeah so this is merry christmas everyone by the way yeah this is no coming kidding. Out on christmas. this is the very first episode coming out on christmas day uh what a thing how about that yeah hope everyone's doing good uh ben did you want to i think i feel like last time we talked about opening with a with a corny joke i, got, I do have a corny joke <laughs> let, Thank you let, so, me, okay. let me hear it <laughs> jay why was the sand wet i don't know ben why was the sand wet because the seaweed it weed oh the, the seaweed the sea- <laughs> <laughs> i get it i was like wait a second i thought it was i was trying to think it like was we crying and i was like the sea doesn't weed is it a word for cry no it's seaweed <laughs> like the seawad or something <laughs> the seawad <laughs> Okay. Oh man. Oh, I got it. Okay, so to to launch off episode one here, uh, there, there's sort of a fina- fascinating phenomenon that we get to benefit from, and that is that we have had episode zero. Yeah. Which means we can kick off by responding to feedback. This is why I think episode zero is necessary for podcasts because a lot of the podcasts I listen to, I feel like a big portion of it is feedback, and you can't have feedback if you don't have something there. Right. Right. No, right. I think when it really comes down to it, podcasters in general are all lazy inherently, and therefore they're using the feedback as like inspiration because clearly anything anybody said in response to what you previously said is them adding to a conversation you've already had which just means we can continue that conversation it's gonna be great so even further what feedback from our last episode uh, stood out to you? Let, let me hear it. Okay, so there, there was a lot of like different things that sort of people had, had reached out to me about that I thought were, were really interesting. But what has almost become our tagline, at least as far as episode one is, con- is concerned, is you said in, the, in episode zero, we have strong opinions about things that don't matter. Oh, strong opinions about weak things. Yeah, 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 yeah. exactly, exactly. And sort of your uh, reasoning for this particular um, viewpoint on the world is sort of that like you do have strong opinions about things that do matter but those are like dicier things to have conversations about so instead you have really strong opinions about things that don't matter because then it it's like if you really 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 don't like Moe's you know the the fast food eatery it's like that doesn't matter in the scheme of things I feel like you're trying to wind me up oh I, I can see Mo's. I can see steam coming out of your ears <laughs> visibly right now here's the um, thing my my real the the way I often view it is that when you have it's it's fun to have strong opinions about weak things because you can sort of argue them really vehemently without really hurting anyone's feelings. Sure, sure. You know, more or less. Sometimes people don't know what you're doing and they think you're being really offended by the most minute things and it can totally backfire. But the thing about having strong opinions about strong things is that I just very often don't feel like I am personally well informed enough about a thing. Absolutely. Like, I don't want to like say something that I just haven't had 
the time to investigate or someone hasn't like pointed out a point of view. So I just like to like really discuss a lot of things because if you be because if you haven't really thought through something or discussed a lot of like a like a stronger thing about like a particular like opinion on politics or something, then often you can just seem really ignorant to someone who is very well educated on the thing. And I don't know, uh, maybe that's a good opportunity to learn. But in the meantime, we're just going to have lots of strong opinions about weak things. There you go. Strong opinions about weak things. So one of the things that that sort of happens is that with what we do, so as as internet creators that make content specifically around fandoms, you know, talking about Disney and Pixar and Star Wars and Harry Potter and Marvel and all that stuff, whenever a new movie comes out or a trailer drops or, um, you know, any piece of new information frequently the our fan base wants to know sort of like what did you think like what were your thoughts and like they're they're maybe even leaning on us to help direct their strong opinions about things that don't matter um and i find that frequently we will be presenting our opinions on something and then become so far detached from them that for one we completely forgot what our opinions were because it has been such a long period of time uh and that very phenomenon happened in episode zero where you and i were talking about the the cars movies from pixar right and and we were describing how the original Cars movie is great because it like introduces this cool new world and it's very Pixar. Uh, but then Cars 2 sort of like took everything that was like the comic relief of Cars and then made it an entire movie. And that's not, that doesn't make for a good movie. So everybody sort of knows to not like Cars 2. But then Cars 3 came out and we sort of described it as if it never happened. Right. That's what we said in the in episode zero. In episode zero. Right. But someone who listened to the, the original uh, podcast came back to me and they were like, well, when you were reviewing Cars, Cars 3, you said that it was better than Finding Dory. So what does that do to Finding Dory in the scheme of things if you said that Cars 3 basically didn't even happen? Well, I think when we say it didn't happen, I think it just sort of is easier to forget about in the grand scheme of things. Sure. I think, I don't know, I think I would probably stand by that, that Cars 3 was better than Finding Dory. Although, I don't know. That doesn't mean neither of them happened. I think no. in like the, in the grand scheme of like the Cars movies, it's like... I don't know. I don't feel like a lot of people go back and continue to talk about Cars 3. But like Cars 3 was, Cars 1 was great. So there was a lot to talk about. And Cars 2 was so bad there was a lot to talk about. And Cars 3, still good. Just not like not new and as a result you just sort of have this like yeah it happened it, it's sort of the bizarre phenomenon of of a three-star review <laughs> you say <laughs> i think we gave it better than like a 50 though no no no. I, and i understand that but like um i i would say that three-star reviews are generally uncommon yeah for right, sure right because like typically you either love something or you hate it and so you either love it and give it a five-star review or you hate it and give it a one-star review or you may have like the circumstances that could lead to it was like really really good but it broke quickly so you give it two stars because it was fine until it didn't work yeah which was too soon um but a three-star review it's like it's such a lukewarm feeling to have about something in general that like most people probably don't have the impetus to go online and be like oh yeah i need a three-star the review that's exactly the thing it's not like three-star products and movies don't exist it's just that three-star products don't inspire someone to go online and write a review about it yeah, this is it's exactly the Cars phenomenon. We're like, Cars 1, it's so good. You would, of course, go on and say, five stars. I, people should go see this. Cars 2, so bad. You want to make sure, like, I, got, I have things to say. But, yeah, Cars 3, it's just like, yeah, it's there. And I enjoyed it, but it's not, like, it's not rallying you to it. So I agree that there is rarely the three-star review on almost anything. And let me just preface this, because I, hmm, I, if you're, if you're thinking, hey, I want to go leave a review on this brand new episode one of this podcast, please don't leave us a three-star star review <laughs> to, like, to, to like prove me wrong <laughs> to, to prove me wrong Jay, Jay briefed me before before we talked about this he was like I'm going to say this after we talk about three star reviews just to just to be sure that that nobody goes and does that um, which I don't know I'm, now I'm probably just asking for it um, five star review guys there we go yeah five there we star. go thank you guys in advance in advance <clears throat> Um, but no, okay, so that's that's sort of like what, what I sort of wanted to kick off with was this this way in which we have opinions. And we actually have someone out there in the world that after every time we review a movie on Super Carlin Brothers, um, they've gone through and kind of given us like a breakdown of what all of these uh, these placements that we've done. And yeah. in my mind, looking at this list, they're wildly like out of order at times because we're never consistent on the criteria in which we are like giving a ranking. Um, I don't even think 
think we always use like a scale out of 10. I think sometimes we do it out of 100. Um, yeah. So we're, we're sort of teetering. That's an easy conversion to make though. Um, but like the top of our list that we have right now, uh, and this is obviously not super all encompassing, but we would have Black Panther at number one, Captain Marvel at number two, uh, and then the live action Beauty and the Beast at number three. Okay, so yeah, let me let me describe for the listeners what I'm looking at here. Okay, yes. Because I've often thought after we do a review, like I don't even know how that stacks up to the other reviews we've done. Like we don't have a master list anywhere. So you have a screenshot here of the... Um, of the said master list. Of the master list. Someone has put together the master list. I don't know, possibly we can put like a, a link to a, a Google Docs in like the show notes or something so people can look at this. I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For, for sure. We should do that um, so people can look here. But it is interesting to me because you're right. We don't uh, really rank them. We do reviews of movies so infrequently that we. I feel like I've totally forgotten what my basis were for coming up with a score. And we're right. just sort of doing it on the fly. So yeah, weirdly, if you were to look at this list, it would say that we both like Black Panther a lot. Uh, I stand by that. I stand by that. That makes sense at number one. I'm not sure Captain Marvel at number two... <laughs> makes a ton of sense. I, I think to have Captain Marvel, um, you know, like decidedly beating out like Coco, for example, or, or Spider-Man Homecoming. Yeah. Spider-Man Far From Home. Um, you know, like there, there's some like pretty decent, or, or for example, we have Into the Spider-Verse at the 11 spot. Yeah. On this list, which I think is like, uh, that movie is one of, I love that movie. There um, are um, 20 movies on the list for reference. Three of which I don't think we gave a score in the review because it just has quite Question marks. Hashtag inconsistency Hashtag for the win. Inconsistency. We should really have more of a format for our reviews. Maybe. Maybe. Maybe we should have like categories and like, okay, I can rank it out of this on how it performed. In the, I don't know. But so the the really surprising one is Beauty and the Beast, which is number three on this list. Yes. Behind Black Panther and Captain Marvel. I want to say Beauty and the Beast was possibly one of the first two movies yeah. that we ever reviewed. I think it was that and maybe like Lego Batman was yes. the other one. Yes. Where did Which Lego Batman Which is way fit? down on the list. It's like 16. Right. So it's interesting. When you look at this list, what do you see that would you change anything? Oh, for sure. Yeah. So right now, I yeah, I would say that Into the Spider-Verse, we gave it a collective 8.25 out of 10, which on our very generous like rating scale uh yeah puts it in the number 11 spot um that has to go up but then above that especially we have fantastic beasts the crimes of grindelwald currently beating into the spider-verse which is just a sheer tragedy that is (laughs) um because of course under any circumstances where if you said you want to watch this movie or this movie and you held up both you know boxes in front of me right i would pick into the spider-verse every single time of course of course this is okay so that's a great point that we have crimes of Grindelwald, but I will say, what do you think, which review do you think is more accurate than, like, the one you give right out of the theater, or the one that is six or seven months later when you've reflected on the movie for a long time? Okay, so, and this is a question that I want to ask you, is if you have a recency bias, like, Mm -hmm. do you, do you tend to like movies you've seen more recently, uh, to, to the now? Because, that I think is a is a weird thing um, to try to, to discern. So like this year, for example, you know we're recording this in mid December. Um, like Frozen Two has been more recent than Toy Story Four. Right. Like how would you stack those two? And do you think the fact that you've seen Frozen Two more recently than Toy Story Four, and you're currently like listening to the soundtrack every day, that maybe you you would give Frozen a couple extra ticks that you know Toy Story is just being hurt by the fact that it's been so long. That it's a good it, yeah it is interesting. Like if if Frozen Two came out the summer and Toy Story four just came out what i think toy story four was the better movie right yeah according to this list how do we rank them we didn't give toy story four a ranking but we gave frozen two i give it a nine out of ten this says <laughs> this says do you stand by that now i stand by it i really liked frozen two yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. okay okay i don't know what would i give to now i'm like on the spot what i give toy story four probably not a nine yeah. Yeah, I don't think I would I give think it a nine. It would crack I, the nines, maybe like high sevens, like seven point nine or something. Okay, so but like based on this particular rating system, I mean that would be pretty far down. I'd probably that, knock most of these down. I would probably knock my Captain Marvel score down, my Beauty and the Beast score down, my let's see, I don't know. That, yeah, I would I would knock some of these down. So the other thing that happens to us, I think, and this is this is something whenever we're, we are reviewing a movie, is that I feel like we tend to be very critical of movies we liked and very complimentary of movies we didn't like. Do you, do you notice? 
notice that we do this? That is. So, like, I remember in what... I remember when we reviewed The Lion King, we went through, and I feel like most of the review we spent talking about the stuff we did like because there were so many things not to like. Sure. And then we were really nitpicky with other movies that we liked significantly more, um, like, like maybe Frozen 2, for example. So that does happen, but... I still, I don't know, what, do, what, I don't think you've answered my question. What was your which question, was, sorry? Which, which review is more accurate or valuable? The one right after you've seen the movie or after you've had time to reflect? Okay, okay, that's a, I think it's a fair question because it's, it's hard because both things have different values and, um, I, I can use Star Wars as, like, one of the most glaring examples of this for me. So, I, I have always said, like, since we have been deep into the world of fandoms that The Force Awakens is the best in theater experience I've had in the past several years as far as just taking in a movie is concerned. Like I sat down and I was absorbed the whole time. Like at no point in time was I thinking like, oh, do I need to run to the bathroom? Or like, I'm almost out of popcorn. Or like, what am I going to do after this? I was like full blown. You were there. In the movie and I loved it. And to this day, I love The Force Awakens. It's my favorite Star Wars movie. Um, And so that like was the, that stood the test of time after my theater experience, which I do rank very highly. Um, and, and to this day, I still like it. But then there are other situations where like my theater experience is good, but then the further that I get from it, the more I'm like, oh no, that is not good at all. Uh, and the good example of that would be the crimes of Grindelwald. For sure. And I think that there was something happening there where you and I both consider Fantastic Beasts to be the best of the Harry Potter movies. I think I would probably stand by that. Yeah, I like, I, re- I really like the first Fantastic Beast movie yes. quite a bit. And I know a lot of people would say that's not really a Harry Potter movie. And when people, I feel like I like giving that answer because I know it's a bit of a shock answer. Sure. When I know what people are really asking is which of the first eight yes. actual Harry Potter movies do you like? And I'm like, ha ha, trick. Trick question. Yeah. Um, either way, uh, we had a whole lot of speculation that could happen. There was a lot of mystery that was being introduced. There's there's a lot to be said with the fact that we were going to get introduced to Dumbledore, you know, properly in the crimes of Grindelwald. And we spent like an entire year breaking apart every single trailer. And there was like, there was so, it was so rich for content for us. Like yeah. we were able to, you know, just like, like find all these nitty gritty details hidden everywhere. And we're like looking at Google Maps, trying to find the specific locations in Paris and like dissecting all these French words. And I mean, we were doing all sorts of stuff. And it was so much fun. And then Warner Brothers reaches out and they're like, do you guys want an early screening of the movie? And we were like, duh. Duh. You know, so like we had spent the whole year enjoying this movie. Oh, yeah. And then I think what happened was we got in there and you and I like were so ridiculously well informed on like the Lestrange family tree and all these weird like inner workings that are happening inside of the movie and like like all the background stuff that's going on where whereas if we just like walked in blind and sat down and be like, what is happening right now? Who is that person? why are they important? Did she just die? Who does she love? Mm-hmm. You know, but like we, we were like really well versed on it. And so I think you and I walked out of the theater being like, whoa, mind blown. That was amazing. Like, and we were trusting the writing that like when we went back and like looked at all these details that we needed to find that the answers were going to have been there the whole time. Right. I think that was the thing because that that is so often the case with Harry Potter. Where right. Like, oh, the, like when you reread it again, so many things pop out and you're like, oh man, no, oh, wow. Yes, of course. Like that makes so much more sense that now. Makes so much like, uh, it was set up so far in advance. The other thing about the crimes of Grindelwald in particular is we did get to go to a somewhat early screening, but we also had the really cool opportunity to visit um, New York City. We got invited by Warner Brothers. We did. There to go see an early screening of one of the trailers and to uh, like see the cursed child. We got to uh, meet, uh, not meet, we got to be in a picture with J.K. Rowling and like a hundred other people. Yes. That was an amazing thing. Maybe we should talk about that in a second. But then we also got to meet like a lot of the cast of the movie like this was a unique build up to ed- a more unique build up to any movie I've ever seen ever plus uh, we significantly we s- correctly called the uh, Nagini reveal yes and that was like a big what that was a big win for for the Super Carlin Brothers just channel right right, right. Uh, like we made t-shirts about yeah, it we yeah made t-shirts about it uh, that was, so that was fun so you're right I, you said something just now that really kind of like 
department. Like, we enjoyed this movie all year. Yes. Which is sort of, I wonder if that's more of a thing these days, like, where the movie itself almost isn't even what you're enjoying. It's the anticipation. As, as, as much as the anticipation. Because we were, like, looking, it was really fun looking forward to the crimes of Grindelwald all year. And then, it, you know, it, it, it has a bad reputation for falling really flat now. <laughs> yes, of course. Um, and, and that, I mean, that's a very classic, you know, the uh, the destination is the journey. Mm-hmm. Do I get that right? The journey is the destination. Yeah. Um, one way or another. That's not make sense. Um, but like, you know, so like right now, for example, uh, I'm planning my wedding in January. And so for the past several months, like I have been enjoying my wedding mm-hmm. every single day. And yeah. like I have been, I have made it a specific point to embrace the fact that I'm probably enjoying it more now than I'm going to be able to actively do it the day of the wedding when everything is just like insane whirlwind. Oh, I really doubt that. Really? Oh, I think you're going to be blast at your wedding. Yeah. Amazing. Well, I mean, your wedding day is a is a day that is just all about you. <laughs> and from like top to bottom. And as long as your brother doesn't like forget to pick you up in the morning, hey. you feel like hey. someone, like you're being paid attention to all day. So can we tell that story? <laughs> yeah, let's do it. So uh, I was Jay's best man in his wedding. And uh, the night before, we're doing the rehearsal dinner, and the whole family, like, it, it, that's the thing, is that weddings are really family reunions. Basically. So you get to see all these people in a context that you don't normally get to see them. Like, it's not Christmas for once, you know? Like, everything right. is different. And um, so as we are, like, going out after the rehearsal dinner, we're all at, like, this bar, and the whole family's there, and we're all just, like, you know, cheers in and having, like, a really good time and all that. Um, I had maybe, like, one too many cherry Cokes, and we're having a conversation... Good. Uh, before the evening's end where we're supposed to meet at a barber shop the next morning to get ready and you're like you're giving me a ride in the morning and I'm like I'm giving you a ride in the morning and the next morning I show up at the barber shop and I'm like why is Jay not here like what is going on bad day to oversleep oh yeah. my gosh yeah like seriously dude it's your wedding yeah Um. and so I call him I'm like dude where are you and he's like you're supposed to pick me up and I'm like oh no everything comes flooding back oh my gosh the color just drained from my face again uh, just really <laughs> the moment it's like no it was it was really funny because yeah i think you called me in your exact words were where are you and my words to you are where are you i I know and then i'm like but of course i'm standing there with all the other groomsmen so i'm like i know i'm in the right place what is he talking about like where am i i'm in the right place i am where you told us to be yeah i remember getting there and the other part was that we like when you uh we had arranged yeah to meet at a barbershop everyone's gonna get like you know a touch up on like their haircuts and beards and stuff beards yeah. and stuff but the place you go to that we did it they also offered like a whole like breakfast package where they would bring like fruit and bagels and cream cheese and stuff and like you know we'd gone ahead and done that because we were, this was going to be like breakfast for everyone too right, right. so I get there and everything's gone oh no I don't even think I realized that oh this is terrible so, yeah. my guilt is so much worse <laughs> I, think I don't really ever think about it but it is fun to hold against you sometimes nice nice thank you for that yeah. thank you for that my, mm-hmm. my guilt is real anytime, anytime. Um, is there any let me ask you this is there anything on your wedding that you are doing to prepare your appearance that is above that is beyond your regular getting ready oh yeah yes i'm getting a spray tan oh a, sp- a spray tan wow. yes um so there was there was a night uh we were, we we're getting married at disney and so we uh we were going down to do our planning session in october and before we went like we knew we were going to be on camera and stuff while we were down there so Allie was like well I'm gonna get a spray tan before we go and so like we pull up at the place the night before like we're getting on the plane to go down and everything and she's like why don't you just come in your first one's free anyway so like you can just do it and I was like all right <laughs> like I'll go in and boy howdy did I feel confident that whole week I was like I'm glowing am I glo- <laughs> I'm glowing like it was it was the most unusual experience I ever had for something that I, I mostly I mean Allie gets them all the time so it's I'm not like you know unaware of the effect but I think that she so regularly has them mm-hmm. that it's just sort of part of like what her appearance is to me right so I don't I like when she comes home I'm not like oh there we go that's that's the way I like you <laughs> um, something weird like that. Um, so no, it was it was odd, but so the whole actually I guess are you doing it as well? I think the whole well, the whole yeah. Full disclosure, Ben I guess has asked uh, if everyone, all the groomsmen wanted to go do this as like a group bonding experience, and everyone everyone was pretty much in. So yeah, uh, I will also be getting my first spray tan ever, ever, ever. Oh, you're gonna love it. I hope so. I'm afraid. I think every whenever you tell someone about a spray tan, they'll they'll always bring up the episode of Friends where Ross does it wrong. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and, 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 He's like, I'm an eight. I'm an eight. 
Classic. Oh man, so yeah, hopefully that doesn't happen. Yeah, no, no, for sure. For sure. Yeah, that's fingers crossed. Hopefully it all works out. Um, and we don't we don't look strange, but it's it's going to be an interesting experience. And I think this is the first time I'm telling you this bit of information. Uh, because we're doing it at like Disney, they come in and they do it like manually. Oh really? So like there's a person who does it. So we're gonna have like a really like fancy a fancy spray tan. Yeah, like you're not going to standing in a booth. You're going to go stand in front of a person. Even better. And these are like the people who do like uh, like celebrities and stuff for events because it is Disney. Like right. So that's like the, the group that comes and does it. So like Allie's been looking at their Instagram and she keeps like alerting me like all these like famous people who have gotten spray tans from the same people as us. So when, when you guys see pictures of us, be be sure to notice that, that perfect glint. That perfect glow. Yes. yes hopefully. It's, it's, hopefully. Hopefully. Anyway, should we talk about movies? Oh, we can talk about movies. What do you want to talk about? Okay, okay. So, because I don't, I don't even know how far our tangent went from where we were once upon a time. I think we were talking about the recency of watching a movie to whether or not you like it more or less. Okay, well, <clears throat> that is what we were talking about. Although, I noticed you have another thing in our little notes here. Okay, yes. And I think we need to address it. Okay, talk to me. So, <clears throat> as we're recording this, we, will, we have not seen Star Wars, The Rise of Skywalker yet. We have not. So, bear that in mind as we enter into this discussion about... Star Wars movies. Star Wars movies, yeah. Okay. So we still don't... Now, as you're listening to this, you probably know what happened. We, as as people existing, speaking into microphones right now, do not know. We do not know. Yes. But it's not particularly relevant to the conversation. Unless, Just want to let people know. Unless it is. Unless you think? Which well, I think is a point we can bring up. But. Okay. So anyway, I'm sure you can check out... You'll, if you want to hear what our thoughts on the Rise of Skywalker are, our review's already out there yes. on the main YouTube channel. Um, but as we're recording it, we haven't seen it. In the meantime, though, Ben has discovered a really interesting phenomenon on just Rotten Tomatoes with the rest of the Star Wars movies. Yes. So the original trilogy, 4, 5, 6, is highly beloved by almost everyone. The prequel trilogy is largely considered to be a little bit worse. Yes. And the the sequel trilogy coming out now is sort of take it or leave it uh, for some people. It, it's it's a strange phenomenon, yeah. yes. And and what I what I went through and basically did was um, under all of these, it's it's uncommon for the relationship between the audience score on Rotten Tomatoes and the critic score on Rotten Tomatoes to be exactly the same. Right. That's almost never um, the case. It, it's almost never the case, right? So I, I have like my my deviation um, scored out here on each of the movies to to sort of determine how far from the critic score the audience score ultimately was because in general i think that all of us standard folk qualify as the audience score not as the critic score i feel like maybe i feel like you and i land somewhere in the middle somewhere okay sure (laughs) sure sure we do do movie reviews that's true that's true (laughs) yeah but we that's one of those weird things where I've thought about this before. Our reviews probably ultimately have more viewership than that of most other movie reviewers. Oh, I agree with that. Like, But like our voice is like irrelevant. Well, because like, yeah, we, we put it up on YouTube and we get um, a, a good number of views on most of our reviews. But if you like, you know, a lot of people who are leaving reviews on Rotten Tomatoes, like they're probably not getting en- a lot, enough people are not probably reading their review. They're reading the score. They're most, reading the most score. People look at the score. I mean, you can go in and read the individual reviews, but even then, I'll just normally read like the two sentence blip. Right. Which you can normally click on to get a full article written by these people. Sure. Yeah. But anyway, so what Ben did was went through and just figured out the difference in score between audience and critic for every Star Wars movie. And there's like just one giant outlier. There is. There and it, is. It, I mean, it's, it sticks out like a sore thumb. And I'm sure anybody listening who has any idea about Star Wars knows exactly where we're going with yeah. this. So the difference, the highest. So like, for example... The audience score on The Phantom Menace is 59. The critic score is 54. So the difference is only five. Right, right. right. Yeah, so it's like I, both both critics and audience agree it's it's a pretty middle-of-the-road movie. Like, right. it, it's it's only okay. Um, and, and actually, before we go any further, there is a question that I, I wanted to ask you about the way that these scores align. Like, to what extent do you think that if critics are doing their job well, should their collective aggregate score 
score be a representation of what the audience score should be? Oh, I don't think that's... Okay, but so the reason the reason you say that, though, probably is because I'm sure that you know that when it comes to producing a movie, there is a difference between the movie that the lay viewer might enjoy mm-hmm. um, and, and what is also a very well-made movie. Is that correct? Like, like, would you say that critics are assessing the quality of the movie on the story, the the filming, the photography, the videography, like all the all the elements all that like come the elements into it? Of producing a film, producing a film, yeah. But but it also has to have a story that that logically makes sense, right? Like critics are still assessing that, yeah. But critics may not take into account whether or not a movie is entertaining. Is that? I mean, they may or may not. They may or may not. Okay, okay. I think the audience score tends to come from whether or not a movie made sense or like whether or not a movie was entertaining though. Sure, okay, yes, okay. Yes. Or, well, yeah, yes. That's what I'm going to go with. Okay. Popcorn Culture is supported by Arena Club. Okay, so you guys know that I love trading card games and that me and Ben are big time collectors of Pokemon cards. You know, it's that childhood fantasy of finally being able to use adult money to buy those highly coveted rares of our youth. And like even in our office, we have not one but two full display cases with some of our all-time favorite rarest cards that we've pulled but something i did not know existed when i was a kid in my youth was the grading process for trading cards or sports cards or whatever you're collecting you know to me it was just like a rare charizard is a rare charizard like it doesn't doesn't matter if it's been hanging out in my pocket with my lucky paper clip turns out it does matter and kind of a lot because if you get your cards professionally graded it can add huge value and then not only that but once they're graded they will like seal them in that pristine condition inside of a plastic case or what's known in the industry as a slab and that's where arena club steps in because it's like buying a booster pack but it's for a pre-graded card Now, I know that can take like maybe a second to wrap your head around because you're opening physical cards on a digital platform, which means you open the pack online and see your polls where they can be added to your showroom for the world to see. But you can also request them to be sent to you at any time. So they have got a ton of pre-graded cards and then you will get to randomly open one and then they'll keep it for you or they can send it to you or you can just like sell it or trade it online or whatever you want to do. But whether you're buying, selling, trading or displaying, Arena Club is the card collecting platform you have got to check out. And right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash pop pop, which, wow, that is a crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's like $40 right there. Anyway, that's arenaclub.com slash pop pop for 10% off your first purchase. Popcorn Culture is sponsored by Shopify. Y'all are likely aware of the fact that we have our very own Shopify store, Carlin Brothers Mercantile, and it's hard to imagine not having it now, but arriving at the decision to open our own web store was a big one. In fact, we started our journey on the interweb back in 2012 and didn't finally open up shop until 2018. And a huge part of that is just not knowing where to start, but that's where Shopify steps in. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business, which is a fancy way of saying it's a really easy and effective way to start an online business, no matter if you're operating out of your garage or have like a whole building or three or something. Once we were set up, our biggest concern was trying a new product only to discover no one was interested in it. But Shopify is powered with so many reports, more than you can even imagine. And this is so handy because it allows us to use data to better provide what folks are actually interested in. It's so easy to use, but even if you do find yourself caught in a jam, Shopify Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Sign up for a $1 per month trial at shopify.com slash pop pop. That's all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash pop pop now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash pop pop. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? 
Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Um, but anyway, anyway, getting back to our lovely chart here. So the difference, uh, like we said, between the Phantom Menace, 5954, that's just a difference of five. Now, the difference between any Star Wars movie, the audience and the critic score, the greatest it gets for all but one is 14 points. Right, and which is... Revenge of the Sith, where the audience said it was a 66, the critics said it was an 80. Which I, I would say that I think that Regen- Revenge of the Sith is the best of the prequels. I think that's, that is that is what I would agree with as well. And that is what it would appear to be is the general consensus based on Rotten Tomatoes. Sure. However, the actual greatest one, the actual greatest difference between audience and critic score is a whopping 47 points total outlier on The Last Jedi, where the audience gives it a 44% and the critics give it a 91%. Certified fresh. Certified fresh. Yes. So what do you make of this? This, I mean, this phenomenon has has baffled me for a long time. Um, and it's like, what's what's weird about it is that a lot of the people that I go to and like trust their opinions about things mm-hmm. love this movie. Right. And it seems like the general public beyond people who are like tuned into like critiquing movies don't. <laughs> um, and and I know that like when we saw what, what was our rating like so our our, our knee jerk so I gave it an eight point two and you gave it an eight point seven right um, <laughs> do you stand by that review let's see did we review um, the Force Awakens as well I don't think we on did here? no it, it, yeah. okay that's no. surprising yeah hmm. the, I mean the Force Awakens is we arguably my favorite movie so oh, for me I know what happened is that I had a child that's what happened then right is that was that that might have been no I don't know okay well. Whatever. We didn't review The Force Awakens. Um, I enjoyed that a lot more than The Last Jedi. What was your question? Do you stand by your review of an 8.7? I'd probably go a little bit lower Okay. at this point. I've been in a very Star Wars mood lately, and we have been watching sections of The Last Jedi, and there are parts of it I do really, really like. Yes. But there are other parts where I'm just like, this. it feels unwatchable. Okay. And so basically the, the best possible explanation that I have been able to come to for... The Last Jedi, I mean, is, is written right here on, on the walls, is that like when you're a, a, a critic and you're going into reviewing a movie, you're not focusing on how well that movie fits into the known universe of every other movie that like relates to it. You're right. treating it as an individual installment as a movie. How does it perform start to finish? Does it tell a story? Is it compelling? Mm-hmm. All of that. Like, so critics are not holding it to the bigger story and, and they don't even have to be Star Wars fans. Like, like, right. And and I think what you get with this is sort of the same phenomenon that you see very frequently with like movies that win Academy Awards, where you have movies that are very, very well made. They're very like artistic. They have an incredibly like depth, uh, incredibly deep meaning built into every part of the story top to bottom. But very frequently you haven't seen all of the movies that are nominated for Best Picture because they are not necessarily by design the most entertaining movies on the market or they don't have the kind of budgets for marketing or they're not blockbuster hits. Right. You know, like it's a different kind of movie altogether. Yeah. And so for me with The Last Jedi on some level, I think you get this uh, unusual phenomenon where it is an incredibly well-made movie. The cinematography behind it is, I I would say, unparalleled. Like, you know, the, the... um, scenes on the salt planet where you've got the speeders going across and right. the red dust kicking. I mean, that's like, it's gorgeous. It's really cool. It's very like interesting and thought out. Um, but then you've got all of everyone else who sees the movies and uh, who saw the movie that are Star Wars fans. Right. And I, I think that that is where this movie, like it, it deviated in so many different directions from what Star Wars fans might have expected, uh, especially from like what was teed up with The Force Awakens and just how all of the different characters were handled. And I think 
think that that made it so that everybody who was really leaned into this world was like, no, no. <laughs> right. It's like, what I think is interesting is that Star Wars in general has become like its own genre of movie. Yes. Do you know what I mean? Yep. Like it, it falls under the world of sci-fi, but you, it, like you can put it broadly in there, but like a Star Wars movie has a particular Star Warsiness about it. Yes. It's not just a sci-fi. It's like, it, it is its own kind of movie at right. this point. It has such a defined style. Like uh, the Mandalorian is coming out right now and it feels like the most Star Wars thing I've seen in a long time. Right. Well, I mean, it's, you know, it becomes the space Western you sort of think of as Star Wars. And it's like, I think that's where the prequels deviated so far from what we love about gunslinging, laser sword wielding characters right. who are, are, are fun and exciting and funny. Um, you know, and they made it all about like these weird trade federation laws and right. you know, like I can't even tell you what the main conflict of the prequels are and we're literally, you know, self-proclaimed experts on the topic. Um you know, it, it, it becomes like this weird thing. But then the Mandalorian goes back to these roots of like each episode in my mind, like as I'm like watching it unfold, it's like on this episode of the Mandalorian, yeah. the Mandalorian and his new companion who will never see again, go into the woods to fight a thing. Ooh, here's a, here's a fun theory for you. Okay. okay Mandalorian wise. What if the title, the Mandalorian is referring to the child? Oh, <gasps> You know what I mean? Ooh, would that, that be would crazy? Be, that would be crazy that because would be it would be so very unexpected you for the Mandalorian not. to be not this character that you imagine as Boba Fett, effectively. Yeah, he's not, the Mandalorian's not the character wearing wearing the Mandalorian armor, embodying the Mandalorian lifestyle. Right, and I think what it means to be a Mandalorian is absolutely going to be something that is, is peeled back and revealed in a way that is not maybe what you'd expect. Like, I think there's no two ways about it. The main character that we know as Mando was not born a Mandalorian. I think, yeah, I think as of maybe the last episode, which as we're recording was episode five, they have got, they've pretty much confirmed that. I think it's like a one-liner sort of thing where he says he was like adopted by them. And right. Yeah. Yes. And as such, he is, he, I mean like, yeah, so what does it mean? Does it mean you were born there or that you embody everything they stand for? Right, sort right. Of thing. But then if little baby Yoda was actually born there and he is a, like in a way a Mandalorian, even though he's not humanoid, That'd be pretty cool. Mm -hmm. That'd be you big. heard it here first, folks. There you go. There you go. Um, but yeah, so, okay. So you go you go back to The Last Jedi. And the, so the, the thing that I've always come back to with this is that at times I have felt like I am not smart enough to enjoy The Last Jedi. Mm. Like that is like the only thing that I've been able to sort of like dissect out of everything because there are such like deep themes yeah. in the movie that like a lot of times, um, like we, we have this guy, Scott, here at the office with us who is like he's so good at dissecting movies and he like understands them innately on a level that I feel like I don't right and like you and I will like be having a conversation about something and he'll like come poke his head in through the door and be like it's because of this and it's always like oh well that is a good point now that you say it that way um specifically speaking to the idea of in the last Jedi there's this moment where Luke returns and he's standing out like you know on the salt field right. and Kylo Ren comes down and they're they're going toe to toe and you know like Luke opens up his lightsaber and he's literally using the lightsaber that like moments before this scene, Kylo Ren himself destroyed. Ju just destroyed yeah. in, in like this force pull battle with Ray. Right. So if so you're it, paying attention, you should know what, how to get that lightsaber. Right, right, right. And you know, like, and, and Scott's assessment of this situation is that like what they're saying is that, you know, Kylo doesn't learn from his mistakes. Like, right, doesn't not, learn from the past. He doesn't learn from the past. And it's like, when you say that, it's like, oh, then it doesn't feel like a mistake that they use that lightsaber instead of the green lightsaber that we know that Luke is supposed to be using at this point in time. And right. that, that Ben would know him to use at this point in time. Right. Um, and so th there's like this part of me that like inherently will understand like, oh, that is a good point. Like that's that's an interesting take on this particular problem where like I may have seen it as an issue, but you actually saw it as like a part of creative storytelling if you like really peek into the layers of the story. Right. To me, there comes a question though of, and, and this goes back back to like my 11th grade English class where, you know, you're reading through all of this like literature through the ages and stuff like that. And the teacher is insisting that, you know, the, the guy's green vest is supposed to be symbolic of that character's greed. And right. I'm like, or because it's a green vest, maybe it's just a green vest. Maybe that's what the author wanted to do. And like me as a writer, it's like, I don't know that I personally would think myself smart enough to think that every detail that I included was inherently part of the character's like overall intentions and mm -hmm. motives. And 
And because I don't think that way, I'm like, well, there's no way the author thinks that way. Right. Like, you can't put yourself in those shoes. And there's, you know, so, you know, every book is different. And, right. You know, a lot of things, a lot of the things you read in high school, you're reading because the author had lots of intent. Yes. But I think that's not a, um, a discernment most high schoolers uh, arrive at. Yes. Because they're, they're, it's just, just some... Uh, just another book you're being forced to read. <laughs> right. And and you're not studying it. And, and that's what's been strange to me, I think, as like, I hated research papers and I never understood what the purpose of them was when I was in high school and mm-hmm. stuff. And now as we are like, you know, YouTube theorists, we write research papers every day. Like that's what we do for a job. Quite a bit. And I think that the difference in approach has completely changed the way that, that like I view details and things, which brings me, you know, like what I feel like is a, a now more enlightened and, you know, rich person in the world of the way that I consume media, like, I should be the type of person who that detail's not lost on me. It's like, oh, it's the blue lightsaber. That's the dead giveaway right there. Like, that's he's not learning from this past, but that's not what happens to me. Right. When I'm watching this movie at full speed, it's like, yes, that is ultimately true, and if you have somebody who is, like, doing a, a study on The Last Jedi, then that becomes, like, an interesting detail to pull apart and ask as a quiz question, you know, about the movie and, and all of its themes. Right. But is that something that when you're watching the movie at full speed on its first pass that you're supposed to like inherently take from like it right absorb. away? Yes. And and that's where I don't know if there's a bit of a difference here in the um the the, the quote unquote reading level of this movie. Mm. Like and that's why I say like I'm not sure that I'm like smart enough right. to to understand it. Yeah. Is is that like I don't know if what happens is is, is that to the best of my ability, despite the fact that I have a, a reasonable working knowledge of of the known Star Wars universe, details like that were ultimately lost on me. Right, like if you are, yeah, like a critic and like really paying attention to the visual storytelling and you go back and like really study it, you, I'm sure you will find that The Last Jedi is done really, really well and that much of the visual storytelling in and of itself drives home the themes of the movie. Yes. Yes, which is great. But then, like, I think what bothers stuff, it's like, and that's great. And maybe that does make it, in some ways, a good movie. But in other ways, Rose should not have stopped Finn from crashing into the thing. And it's oh. like, I can't get over stuff like that, you know? There, there are details about it. And you're absolutely right. Like, there there are multiple moments. There, there are at least two deaths that should have happened that they undid in this movie. And I think the first one is Leia. Mm. You know, like, where when, when I'm watching the movie, and again at full speed, which is what I mean by, like, like, you know, sitting in the audience, first pass at it. And uh, the Leia, like, Ben is flying in there and he decides not to shoot the cockpit, like where he right. knows his mom to be standing. Yeah. But then one of his, you know, uh, fellow TIE fighters does. Yeah. To me, at full speed, my thinking is like, oh my God, the two people that he could have killed that would have taken him all the way to the dark side are Han Solo and Leia. And both of them died. But I would I would have made the argument at that point in time, like within that, that split second moment where you thought she was completely dead, <laughs> that um, Han did in fact pull the lightsaber trigger like he he decided to let kylo ren kill him or to kill himself to remove the possibility of ben right. being able to do that like right. it's like now you can't now right. you you cannot kill me which is like one act of evil that you can't do to yeah. turn you all over to the dark side same thing with this is you have this moment where it's like he's flying in he's got his finger on the trigger and he doesn't do it and right. then someone else does and it's and like now he can't the outcome is the same exactly and it's right. like and that's amazing to me it's like, oh my God, like as evil as they can make him, they can never give him the opportunity to do the ultimate thing that would absolutely tip him over to the dark side. Right. And then Leia floats through space. And then, yeah, then she's not dead. And to me, this is a double whammy because for one, this amazing revelation that's just washed over me. I'm like, that was the boldest thing you ever could have done. You killed Leia in like one fell swoop. It wasn't even like, you know, this insane built up, like, right. you know, whoa, it was, it happened like in the speed of battle. But then also, they have her float through space, which is this like the, it's not even that that's something that the force might be capable of doing. It's that they're in the vacuum of space. Right. Like instant death. Instant death. Like yeah. you freeze to death the moment you are, you are exploded out there. Not to mention the fact that you were in a cockpit that was just blown up. Right. You know, so it's like the the force, the thrust, the, you know, all of the things involved, like in my mind, in every single way, shape and form, just lead to sudden death. And I suppose you can make the argument that the force keeps her alive, but it's a, it was a really 
unusual, quirky way to demonstrate for the first time ever, really, Leia using Force powers in any capacity. Well, I remember watching that scene for the first time, too, and my initial thought, because it happens really early in the movie, was that, like, I, I was, like, impressed with the boldness of the decision yes. to kill Leia. Just boom, just like that. And I was like, without even, and like, I was like, at first I was like, man, I can't believe they didn't give you like a, like a moment to say goodbye because the scene finishes. But then they cut back to her and I was like, here we go. Here's the sad, oh my gosh, she's got, oh my gosh, she's flying. She's flying. Whoops. Okay. She's not dead. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So there was, I mean, whether or not you like Space Leia, it sounds to me like what you and I value when we're reviewing movies is much more like the, like the, like bold storytelling. Sure. Rather than like bold story theming. Maybe. And, and, you know, like, again, I go back to sort of like, maybe that's just our, our Neanderthal brains being like, Ooh, give us a shiny, cool thing that we don't expect. Well, maybe. But like, there's certainly, I think, I think like it comes down to whether or not you think the point of making a film is the way you make a film. Sure. Or, you know, you know, like I think to some people, and I think a lot of critics, because a lot of them are in the filmmaking industry, right. that's really important to them. And that's, and fair enough, because it, I mean, it's, it's how you push the envelope is, you know, trying new methods and new stuff. But like at the end of the day, the story itself still has to make sense. <laughs> It, it does, yeah. Yeah. Well, okay, and so then, then with that, um, that there's, I guess, a couple other points that you could get to. So, like you, you brought up already, sort of the idea that, um, you know, Finn at the end is basically uh, laying it all that, laying it all out there. Every other speeder is pulled away, and he's like, "I'm doing it. I have to do this. Yes. Like, I am fully committed to the cause. I'm going to sacrifice myself to save the day. Like, gonna go for it." And then at the last second, somehow, some way, Rose's speeder was fast enough to, despite the fact having pulled off has now been able to come in at a curve and hit him sideways even though he had a head start and was going at full speed and she peeled off she got ahead of him and could crash him whatever right right which the logistics alone seemed like a little bit iffy at best but so then like what happens after that moment that you feel like it was um or what what argument would the movie make where it was essential that finn not sacrifice himself there i think i don't know because all rose says is like that's what you do for someone you love that like sort of it's like a love conquers all sort of moment right the problem is one is that as we just described the logistics of how she crashes him doesn't even make sense two that the very act of crashing him might have killed him anyway right and three saving him from doing this exact thing just allows the first order to kill you anyway right. because that's what's gonna happen right like you're not you you don't <laughs> you're not really saving him. Yes. Like, you're both going to die in just another five minutes, if not seconds, you know? Because they don't know Luke is about to show right. up as a yeah, unprecedented force vision. Exactly. Right. Like, they don't know that's about to happen. You know, all she does is save him from saving everyone, but she only saves him for like another minute. Right. You know, and and everyone's going to die. Right. So it's to me, it's like, not only could she not have circled around, she could have killed him in the process, but three, her her saving him just mostly does nothing anyway. Right. And barring Luke showing up. Yes. Which there's no way she could have known. Right. You right. know, yes. so I, I I hate that moment for so many reasons. And it, it's complicated. Yeah. So, okay, so at the beginning of the, at the beginning of the, the episode, I said to you um, that you, you made the comment that most of what we're going to talk about today probably doesn't matter based on what happens in The Rise of Skywalker. What happens to you if... If a lot of things you didn't understand about The Last Jedi are very neatly resolved in The Last or in the, in the Rise of Skywalker. Like, what does that do for like our kids someday who don't have to wait to watch the next episode? Right. Like if well, I don't know. I mean, I, I think I'm okay with going back and being like, oh, you know what? Having seen how it ends, The Last Jedi, favorite Star Wars. Sure. You okay. Know? So you, you'd be willing to come around to that. I, look, if <laughs> if if you want if you want to be right all the time you have to be willing to change your mind all the time there you go there you go jake harlan rolled the life (laughs) and you know you can only be as right
right as the information you have presently. Right. And if you get new information and all of a sudden it turns out you were wrong, then sticking to your guns is pretty stupid at that point. Sure. Because then, cause, cause it's obvious you're wrong now. <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah. So, so uh, yeah, because because that, that becomes the question to me, though, because I do, I think it's interesting. Um, it's not even a sticking to your guns type of thing. It's a, uh, with the limited amount of information that you had when you viewed The Last Jedi, like, it's interesting to me that it could become the best movie when when all you had was it, it couldn't be. Mm. Like, because to me, I feel like that almost speaks to this idea of of what everything does as a as a, an entire narrative, mm-hmm. so to speak. So it's sort of like everything makes sense once you see the whole picture and it's like, oh, okay. Because then, then maybe you do go back to it and knowing what you know, it's sort of like, okay, okay. Yeah. Like, well, that's all coming together. I'll, I'll give an example here of, I was trying to think, has this ever happened to me? Are there episodes of stuff that when I watched them the first time, I was like, God, okay, whatever. Uh-huh. But then in the fullness of time, once the ending has been resolved and you go back and rewatch it, like suddenly certain episodes stand out. Yes. Like it's a lot better. And so I know you haven't watched um, The Last Airbender, but I think I can still make this example work. There's, uh, well, I don't want to like spoil it all for you. Go ahead. It's okay. Okay. Yeah. Okay. You can probably tell where it's going anyway. Spoilers for The Last Airbender, the show uh, coming up, FYI. Um, are you are you familiar with Prince Zuko, the guy hunting down the Avatar? Yes. Right. So over the course of the show, he slowly is eventually the Avatar's firebending teacher. Okay. Like he eventually comes around full circle is the good guy yes and whatever so there's an episode i think in season two where it's just called i think it's called zuko alone and the whole episode is him just sort of traveling around like roaming as this like lost warrior and like nothing happens in the plot you just learn a lot about zuko okay and a lot about his past and like his sister and like why he is the way he is or how he was different as a kid and it's just like i remember watching that and being like all right, I guess that was okay. Like, you know, um, it's not, it wasn't like a real exciting episode with like a lot of fights or like nothing really progressed with Aang and company, you know, nothing new happened. It was just a straight up character episode. Okay. But at that point, when you go back and you see where Zuko started and where you see where he ends, then when you watch this episode, knowing his full story, it like, it really is a lot more impactful. And it's like, he's like one of the best characters on the show all of a sudden. Okay. And he's like so important. And like, it's, it's, it's much more interesting to know, like, okay, I like this episode a lot more now that I know the end. Interesting. Okay. Okay. Yeah. That's that's interesting. So, okay, then if we if we're to bring it full, like, not full tilt, but if we bring it back to Star Wars, then how do you feel about Solo, where you have a movie that's entirely dedicated to a character that you ultimately know you love? I've only seen Solo once, um, and it was in theaters. You've uh, only seen it one time. Yeah. Oh my god, I watched it last night. Did you really? I did. Ah, I Okay, I will say, actually, I tried to watch it a few nights ago, and it's not on Disney+. Plus. Um, it is not, I do not own the movie, so I still could have watched it, but I was already in the app, and Rogue One was right there, and we were also talking about that, so I watched that instead. Okay, Because sure. it had been a while. I will say Rogue One, I thought, aged a lot better. There's still things I have issues with. Um, and there's many things that... I, I, it's going to be hard for me to talk about, so because I've only seen it the one time. Um, but you... I, I, okay, so let me let me just go ahead and jump you to, to, to sort of the, um, the point of the reason why ask that specific question is because I feel like in general, I actually quite liked Solo. I, I don't know that I'm winning many fans with that opinion, but you you tended to not like it as much. I felt like there was just little things that like un, just made Han Solo a lot less cool. Okay. Yeah. Okay. This is like, it was like the Han shot first thing, but they just like, they just doubled down on a lot of the things. Okay. Yeah. I don't know. Like, I don't like how they came up with his last name. It's just like, no, his last name was cool, man. It's just like some random dude just decides to so some some guy who's like, like scoffing at him. Yeah, some guy was just like so uh, so low, and he's like, all right, cool. It seemed honestly, I felt like it was giving a little bit too much credit to the guy who is standing there working at the admissions office for the Imperial Army. Yeah, where it's like that's a that's a somewhat creative name to just like pop off instead of like Smith. Well, it's like, I don't, I think I ever really thought Solo was like his given last name. It just always felt like a chosen name. Like my name is Han Solo. And like, it sounds like he seems like the arrogant cool guy who literally chose his own name and made it solo. Right. Okay. You know, so he's like, like, he's like Flynn like, Rider. My headcanon was that he chose it and it was like, yeah, it's like Flynn Rider. Exactly. Like, this okay. is just cool. Or maybe he knew of a different solo or something and he adopted it or something like that. But the, but, and that would have been fine, but to just get it at complete random because he was by himself checking into the Imperial army. Oh, so dumb. Anyway, <laughs> but, and like, I don't like the way they drum up the dice so much, which is a way for like the last Jedi to retroactively, 
Make add more. meaning to the scene where Luke hands Leia the dice. And it's like, when that movie came out, those dice meant yeah, there, nothing. There's, there's no two ways about it. That's definitely true. They were, they were trying to make the dice more important in the, in the fullness of time. Again, to the idea of, let's say, you know, 20 years from now, our, ki- our kids are watching them from episode one all the way through and, you know, chronologically. Mm-hmm. Then by the time the dice resurface, you, you might be kind of like, hasn't it been a while since we really saw those dice? Like, like if you watched Solo first and then you went through and watched everything, like, yeah, if you watched it in chrono- chronological order, not in release date order or whatever, you would probably be like, oh, the dice from the, yeah, it's like the first shot in Solo. Yeah. Right, right, right. Yeah, it might be a cool thing, but I don't know. It's I don't a, like the dice, especially because they're not dice you can actually roll. Sure. You know, they're on a chain. So. Right, right, right. Yes. Uh, yeah, there's that. There's that. Whatever. Okay, okay. So... Anyway, I guess I guess what it comes down to, and the point of this episode to me was sort of to speak to this idea that we we have strong opinions that are always subject to morphing. Yeah. Um, as as time goes on, and as we have more exposure to the media, and we have more opportunity to uh, continue to do what we do, which is to meticulously dissect every detail and make sure that it holds up. That's what we're gonna keep doing. Yeah. I will say uh, one of the fun things we did after the zero episode of the podcast of the pop uh, was uh, we created a channel in our Discord. Discord server called Strong Opinions. Yes. <laughs> Where people could just the rule, the one rule pinned at the top is like you you can only have really strong opinions about things that don't matter. Yes. In this thing. And oh my gosh, it was so funny to see the things. That, Do you have any specific examples of uh, things that people I mean, have strong was, opinions about? There was about? a lot of like, you know, Pop Tarts or Ravioli and that kind of stuff flying sure, around. Sure, sure. Mm, uh, now, now I wish I did have a better example off the top of my head. I would encourage you though to go check it out. It's a fun, if you have a fun opinion about something. Um, that you want to share. Yeah, it's a way that if you are already involved with the uh, Super Carlin Brothers community as it stands, there is sort of a, an opportunity to go in there and have a place to talk about, you know, the pop. As we're, as we're calling it. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's totally catching on. Totally. Um, yes, uh, so that's going to be the Strong Opinions tab in the Discord, which you can get to if you're not already by going to patreon.com slash supercarlinbrothers. The $3 tier is our um, Discord server where you get access to all of that information and lots of other cool stuff. Um, otherwise, we also have a Facebook page uh, set up where we're going to hopefully have some amount of conversation happening. With well, This with, was, yeah, this was a thing. Like, this is the first time, I like, there's no comment section on podcasts. So. Right. Like, where are people going to talk about it? And so the Discord is a great place, but you do have to pay to get to Discord. And I feel like we need a, we need a completely free space yes. for people to discuss it. So we do have... We, we do have... Um, yes, we do have a, a Facebook, Facebook page, page that I highly encourage you to go and check out. It is called it is just called Popcorn Culture. If you search it, you'll see our logo there. Um, so far, we're pretty, pretty lacking in our activity, but hopefully that will change drastically. So if you have any thoughts about our first three episodes, all of which are available today, happy Christmas again. Um, um, be sure to go and leave all of your thoughts there so we can have some feedback and some information to, to fuel further episodes. Yes, uh, let us know how much you disagree with us about everything with your strong opinions about weak things. Yes, exactly, exactly. Um, otherwise, I think that that is all for episode one. Wow. Did we do it? We did it. Oh my gosh. Should we stop recording now? Do we keep talking? I think we're done. Bye. Pop. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.